You're listening to the Sports Therapy Association podcast. Let's talk about. Okay, there we go. 22nd of June, 2021. Welcome to another edition. This is episode 56 of the Sports Therapy Association podcast. Um, We record it live on Facebook and YouTube. Um, in which case you're welcome to come and join us and ask the um, guests questions face-to-face. Or you can listen to it on all favourite podcast players, or you can watch it at the recording if you prefer having a visual on YouTube. There are your options. But we do encourage you to try and come on a Tuesday night, 8 o'clock live. And already the Facebook page is filling up. Hi, Catherine, how are you doing? If you do come along to the show live, then I can bring your comments up onto the screen so you get a chance to flaunt your social media icon, whatever it is, whether that's a lovely kind of over-the-shoulder look from Catherine there um, in her new clinic, I think. Um, Or you can put your logo up. So it's a great way to network and um, kind of meet people of soft tissue therapists you haven't got to be a member of the sports therapy um, association obviously you haven't even got to be a sports therapist we have plenty of chiropractors um, and osteos and um, physios who join us because more and more hopefully the message is that it doesn't really matter we're all kind of healthcare professionals so we're all dealing with the common factor which is people in pain so we're breaking down walls as they say so how Hopefully um, you can come and join us live. So hi, Catherine. How are you? Hi, Beckel. Beckel, Becky, how are you doing? Nice to see you as well. I've no idea why I called you Beckel. And Joan Marshall says, hi, everyone. Looking forward to tonight's episode, as are we. Another fantastic guest and a great subject, which I'm really looking forward to. But before I get too excited um, and forget, let's say thank you to uh, last week's guest, who was um, Chris Tiley, um, creator of uh, NeverTooOldToLift.com. Um, we had some fantastic feedback of that. It's such a nice subject, isn't it? It's such an easy way, it seems, if you do the right thing to help um, people who are either kind of getting on a bit um, or disabled. And Chris gave us some great information and stories about how to break down those barriers, how to maybe not be as careful as you might think you have to be with some of these people, especially when it comes to resistance training. Still principles which we've heard from other people on the show, like kind of reaching failure, reaching for fatigue, um, inspiring that person, giving them confidence in their body and so on. So it was a great episode. You can still listen to it on YouTube. You can watch it um, or you can listen to it on the podcast as well. Um, and just to mention Chris's book and um, the ebook, which um, I had another look through recently it's because I had an elderly client, a runner. Um, who's just started running and fantastic and I actually thought oh let's have a look at that ebook uh, ebook again so it's available on um, his website never too old to lift.com it's like 60 to 62 pages or something like that I think and some great information in there really really good um, taking you through different training programs um, taking you through some of the obstacles you might come up against um, and it's great for clients as well it's one of those perfect ebooks where you can look at it yourself as a clinician and you can also give it to your clients to look it's kind of friendly for them as well so really good check it out on never too old to lift.com right so um tonight on the show um also a great producer and i believe sciatica book i think which we'll talk about but yeah the back pain special we have um and who better than um one of the uh co-hosts of the back pain podcast which i know some of you are familiar with um again i choose the guests on us obviously i'm biased but another great conduit of kind of evidence-informed information without shoving it down your throat um which i'm a big fan of if you follow the back pain uh, podcast on social media and they're very active on in a wonderful way on instagram and facebook and twitter um and rob himself then then you'll see it's 
quality information which might shake a few feathers it might kind of challenge things that you've been taught or learned particularly for soft tissue therapists but it's done in a, a nice way a good way um, a communication way so yeah very excited to bring um rob up um as always if you've got questions for the guests and just fire away i've given rob permission as well that if you see something more interesting than what i'm talking about um in the comment section then just to cut me down and say oh catherine's got a good question i mean i know becky already will have a good question in fact becky you could probably ask a great question now you may as well ask it now i know you've got a few in it up your sleeve but yeah do feel free to jump in whenever you like if you've got questions for our guests um but i think that's it for the introduction yeah let's bring up the man himself um co-host of um the back pain podcast mr rob bevan hello mate how are you not bad mate how are you doing very well lovely to hear a southern accent i must say oh thank no you sir nothing <laughs> against northern accents but this is one of the things on social media it's just you know you you i've heard you before obviously on the podcast but it just stands out i mean we've had lots of northern guests we like to be inclusive on this show yes so it's good to have so as we were talking before the show it's very important so it's nice to have somebody representing the south oh thank you i um, try my best so. <laughs> no, it's a lovely accent i'm sure um already people in the room are thinking oh this is very interesting although do, uh, do you listen to joe rogan podcast do you i do yeah i do listen he to joe rogan slagging off the other day the british accent he was just oh, I didn't kind of hear saying, that one. I, oh he was just i love joe but he was talking to someone just going oh here in the states you know we all as soon as you hear a british accent you automatically give them 20 percent more as if they've got more um, kind of um knowledge and stuff and he says as far as i'm concerned they're great for selling mops and things in the late night shopping channels but you know you mustn't be fooled just because they've got an english accent i'm sitting there shaking my thinking what's going on i'll catch up on that one <laughs> yeah yeah he was going out sort of but anyway yes yeah, so the back pain podcast um great stuff mate really nice to be able to catch up with you in person some Thank fantastic you. episodes let's just give people in the audience here if you're listening to the podcast you won't be able to see what's on the screen here but let me just bring up a little screenshot um of like the last five or so that's on there so um can you um fail physiotherapy which is the most recent one and although it's about well you use the word physiotherapy i think you could apply it to any kind of healthcare provision really yes yeah. um, really interesting episode but look at further down the list my sciatica success stories about sciatica what does manual therapy do what does it not do how many times we talked about this in the show what difference does posture make so huge really really interesting and nicely presented information there and um, for everybody to have a look at and obviously quality guests as well of which i've already shared a couple dr mark laslett for example we had on the show i kindly stole um from these guys which was a nice introduction um but we had a great um talk about that on um uh, sij dysfunction and pain um and the difference between those so yeah great show mate thank you man. really nice um I think the best thing to do first of all for people who aren't aware of you and your co-host yeah how did it all start why did the part of the podcast come about great question um so myself and my co-host dave elliott we're both chiropractors um we graduated together 10 years 10 years ago i think we did now 20 2011 2012 so nine years ago and then we were just you know we listened to a lot of podcasts there were so many podcasts out there for us therapists you know, and they were very evidence-based podcasts and lots of that. There was very little out there for patients. And as everyone watching knows or listening knows, there's a, a world of misinformation and poor information around there, specifically aimed at patients, you know, people trying to sell them products and people trying to, you know, get them on board with whatever you know, they're trying to sell them. And we were just fed up of it, basically. So we wanted to put some quality information out there, evidence-based information with 
experts. So we were just wanted to speak to experts. We weren't trying to position ourselves there as the, you know, the, the back pin experts. It was just, we wanted to get the voices of the people who really knew what they were talking about and get that across in a patient narrative. And then all of our, you know, friends, colleagues, you know, other therapists could then promote these messages and then put them out to their own patient bases. So then we're all singing off the same hymn sheet. So that's kind of where we wanted to go with it. Um, and that's you know, the way we're still running with it. It's interesting. I'm sure a few people listening to the podcast or even in the audience there, the one word they're still in their head ringing away. The rest they probably didn't hear was like chiropractor. This guy's a chiropractor and he's talking about lower back pain and back pain. Surely. I mean, that's got to be a, a juxtaposition there. Of, we were talking a little bit off air about I, I is interesting for me because I've got my biases as well, that you are both chiropractors and yet you're kind of dispersing new modern concepts mm. to do with back pain. Is there is that do you feel there is still a malinterpretation of kind of misinterpretation of chiropractors and a bit of a stigma attached to you guys? Yeah, I think there is a, definitely a misinterpretation. Um, I think that and I wasn't aware of this misinterpretation until kind of probably more after I graduated. And this this stems about from or this comes about you know, from old historical models. You know, chiropractors were famous for manipulation, you know, back cracking, whatever you call it. You know, chiropractors call it adjusting. Um, and that's been portrayed by the media, by, you know, television, film, Simpsons episodes, all of those, uh, you know, things kind of portray this as chiropractic being synonymous with manipulation. And that's not something that we learned as chiropractors, you know, that's, and that's where I kind of sit in this juxtaposition because we didn't, that's not what we were taught. We weren't, everything wasn't pinned on manipulation. And the way we see it and why I promote it now is, is chiropractic is a profession. It's not a type of treatment. So as with all of the therapies, you see a chiropractor, you don't have chiropractic done to you. You see a chiropractor who does, who has a, a myriad of tools which they can use at their disposal. That might be, you know, cognitive behavioral therapy. It might be talking, it might be exercise, it might be manipulation, it might be hands-on massage, whatever it is, you know, it's a lots of different tools at their disposal. And so that's what chiropractic is to me. It, it's, a, it's a profession that deals with musculoskeletal injuries as opposed to a treatment, a type of treatment. That's really interesting. It's a good distinction as well. I wonder it's one that makes the listeners think of, you know, when do people have sports therapy done to them? Even the word therapy, I'm, mm. well, I, I pick on every single word. I'm terrible. I go over the top. But even as soon as you call something therapy, it's like that's something you have done to you and you kind of lie down and receive it. But it's it's interesting, isn't it? Yeah, you shouldn't be going to someone for physio or for chiropractic or yeah. for sports therapy. It's about just as much talking of what they're going to do with their hands yeah it's exactly. a wake-up call i think for some people it is just another classic example of social media putting these images of people with hammers and banging into you know spines and stuff and it's just a bad interpretation of casting everyone with the same brush and it's yeah it's terrible for sure, for sure. And it, your identity is what you do on a regular basis so you know and this and if this has been portrayed by chiropractors for 80 100, 100 however old the profession is 120 years or something and if they have and very much we know that the chiropractors have leaned on manipulation but we know that we've evolved and you know this is everyone evolves professions evolve you know osteopathy used to have you know equally you know spurious roots you know as chiropractic did but we, we we've changed and we've grown but that old historical narrative kind of does still hang around you know a bit like a bad smell it's um actually talking of 80 year old chiropractors oh no you're not quite that old are you robert there you go robert chiropractor here yeah also podcast guest there you go and um, thanks for joining us robert good to have you here um is that there, again there's a message to sports therapists there if chiropractors have evolved and um, osteopaths have to evolve 
then maybe when we talk about sports therapy and massage having to evolve, maybe we've been a bit slow with regards to that. And there's nothing wrong with it. It just makes you, you don't have to throw everything away. You haven't done throw everything away. You just kind of pick what works. And when you understand, sure. make it less wrong, as we like to say, yeah. make sure what you're doing is less wrong. Cool. And there's one question here already, just before I forget, Rebecca Cross has said, how can we find the Back Pain podcast, please? What's the easiest way to find it? Um, well, you can visit the website, uh, thebackpainpodcast.com, or it is available on every podcast player, Spotify, iTunes, CastBox, Stitcher, I don't know, you might know some more, but everywhere you find a podcast, it's there. If you don't know where to find a podcast, if you visit the website, there is a, a few links there which you can click on. And if you have a smartphone, it should take you directly to that uh, location. There you go, Rebecca. Yep, everywhere. Just download an app to your phone. Sometimes on Android, you might need a third-party app, like Pocket Cast or something or Stitcher. Yeah. But yeah, once you do that, they'll all it'll appear on all of them. Um, right, okay, so... Let's, I mean, I gave you a rather daunting task when we were chatting about how to get the best out of this hour with, with you kindly giving us your time. So we thought, okay, what about your whole show is about back pain. So we're going to lower it to, that was uh, no pun intended, but we're going to kind of bring it down to lower back pain because we could talk about the rest of the back, obviously, but it's going to yeah. be about lower back pain. Um, and I asked you to have a think maybe about the five most common misconceptions you see and that you kind of, obviously your podcast will mention a few times because that's what you're trying to address. Um, you can't kindly came up with five. Yeah. Um, I, I don't know whether to say those five now. Or yeah, do the do suspense. It. What do you think? The hook yeah, is? no, think... just give, give a teaser, I think. Oh, what? Maybe the first three and save yeah, the last two. <laughs> Are they in any particular order? No, no particular order. No. Okay. In no particular order. So we'll mention the first three and then the last two. You can see whether you, uh, that's, yeah, you can see if you're listening, whether you can guess the last two uh, when you hear the first three. So what are the first three going to be? And the first what one was um, about manual therapy. So talking about bones don't go out of place um, and, you know, what actually happens with manual therapy. We're not breaking down adhesions and scar tissues kind of with our hands. Okay. Second one, we're going to talk about posture, mm -hmm. uh, which is a topic. huge topic. We could talk about that for an hour. And then third one to talk about MRIs and imaging. Okay. And the impact on, a, on, a, on pain and dysfunction and when to refer and a few bits like that. How does that sound? That sounds great. And then we're going to have two surprise ones at the end to shock you, I will we'll, we'll put it out there as if it will. Um, wicked. Okay, mate. So that's fantastic. And thanks again for giving us your time to talk about these. So let's start with the first one. And again, questions in there. As soon as you feel like you've got something to ask, then fire it away. So misalignment and things like, um, yeah, releasing and fixing what is apparently misaligned. Talk to us. Yeah. So, you know, manipulation, bones go going in and out of place. You know, this is a really hard kind of myth to bust and especially as a chiropractor i probably get this from patients more so than people that aren't chiropractors obviously lots of professions provide manipulation as a type of manual therapy but i'll probably get it more you're a chiropractor you must need to put this back into place and this has come about i think mostly from lazy language i don't believe that any therapist who's doing manipulation truly believes that a spine has gone out of place you know i think it's you know we know that the amount of trauma needed to separate a joint you wouldn't need a an adjustment you would need a spinal surgeon to, to, to realign a realign a joint if it has actually gone out of place but also we must remember that it can feel like this so from a patient perspective you know if you're moving if you're stiff that kind of stuck feeling it can feel like a joint is out of place so you know we must not kind of ignore the kind of patient narrative but the issue is is people ask well what's the harm you know what's the problem with saying to a patient oh it's out of place we realign it and well firstly i think this has an overly it, it gives an overly structural blame to a pain you know, we know that low back pain, 
if we take low back pain and most pain is so, so, so multifactorial, you know, it's very rarely down to a singular structure, of course, you know, and that's the same for a lot of pain, but very rarely is back pain down to one structural cause. There are so many things that can impact back pain, but if we have this singular structural cause and we have this fear that our spine is going to pop out of place or our pelvis is going to go out of alignment, this can lead to kind of fear avoidance behavior where we avoid certain activities, avoid tasks for fear that your back is going to go out. And then possibly a dependency on a certain type of treatment or a certain type of practitioner to realign your spine and kind of pop it back into place. And this is not what we should be doing as therapists. You know, as therapists, whatever title you use, our job is to show patients that their spines, hips, muscles, joints, tendons are hugely strong. You know, bodies are strong and stable and they adapt to load. They like load. They don't go out of place when you put your shoes on or you, you know, go, go for a tennis serve. And then if, if someone's got these beliefs and then we're, telling them they need to go and deadlift or they need to go and do a glute bridge or they need to stand up and sit down a few more times you know they're not going to do that if they have this fear of you know things going in and out of place so we should be encouraging more movement and encouraging this narrative around we're strong we're stable we're just a bit sore right now you know that's kind of the way I you know go go about it but it's a difficult conversation to have with patients especially when they have these beliefs and I think it's important not to dismiss patient beliefs. You know, when someone comes to me and they've had back pain for 30 years and every time they have a flare up, they see a chiropractor, an osteopath, a physiotherapist, a sports therapist, whatever, whoever it might be, who does some manipulation and they feel better. It would be completely remiss of me to sit there on minute one of meeting them and say, no, that's not how it works. I don't do that. You know, so there's an element always of meeting a patient kind of in the middle. So you, you, you gain that rapport and this is, the hard part that we all have as therapists is when we're sat in the room with a patient and they're not necessarily requesting something because you can't dictate your whole treatment by what a patient wants, but it guides your treatment. And if you negate what they say on day one, it's going to lead to poor outcomes. You know, they're going to leave unhappy. They're going to go see someone else who might do what they want. And they might, that practitioner might not be as informed as you. So they might then be further down that narrative. So I often might potentially do a treatment that might not be my first choice that might be massage that might be manipulation obviously of course if it's safe to do so um but in order to meet the patient in the middle to gain that rapport to help reduce pain and we know the other things that manual therapy might do to then get them on your side and then once they're on your side they might be a bit more pain free you can then start to introduce a different narrative and have this conversation around actually that doesn't quite do what you think it is and actually it's a stretch to a joint and you can go down that whole kind of line this doesn't actually realign or put anything back into place. And you can open that gate and open that door. And this isn't a conversation always for day one. Some people will be open to it. Some people won't. And this is the the skill that we have to have as therapists to, you know, choose, pick your moment and choose your patient. Yeah. I mean, it's, 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 it's really tricky, isn't it? Because like you said, if, if you use structure to explain the pain solely, then it also gives you quite conveniently, the chance to but i've got these tools normally with my hands of putting you back into the right position again whether it's breaking down a knot or stretching a muscle or or manipulating and putting the spine level again and all this sort of stuff so i think what sometimes people are scared of is if you take that away then what are you supposed to fill it with especially in the case of a massage therapist who maybe has got the client booked in for an hour and if they've over here for example in the uk a lot of level five massage therapists once they get into sports therapy it's all based around more manual technique ways to like myofascial release of making that shoulder the same height and making the pelvis yeah. the same height it's all based around symmetry and that's kind of as 
the model that's used. So you mentioned kind of, I don't want to gloss over this, I know that quite a, I get emails from listeners who, when we start saying, oh, there's other factors that could be causing the pain, they find that quite, well, what then? What are we supposed to, can you expand a little bit on that when you said it's not just structural stuff, which could be related to the pain that the person's suffering from their lower back? Yeah, I mean, well, obviously structure can play a role, rarely, but it can, you know, you can have a traumatic injury, which can, can be a structural structural problem. But the vast, vast majority of the low back pain that we see is non-specific back pain. And that means not that we don't know what's causing it, but it just means that we can't nail it down to a single structure. So it's a combination of lot, lots of different factors. So that's kind of where we come from in the, in the lower back. But then so many factors, and, you know, as another spoiler, we'll come on to talking about kind of pain and damage later. But the, so many factors influence the brain's you know role in pain and that can be your mood at the time it can be your you know depression levels it can be anxiety it can be your past beliefs or your fear of certain movements and all of those can play a role so that is why this addressing of back pain has to be this this multifactorial approach rather than reliance on the singular structure cause if you're not addressing these other issues in kind of chronic back pain and that might be i said fear and beliefs is a really good example to kind of pick up on if someone's fearful around a certain movement because they think it's going to hurt then they never do that movement and we know that avoiding a movement is not a really good place to do the spines are meant to bend and lift and twist and do all the things that, that we're designed to do we're not meant to avoid a certain movement for the rest of our time and i'm sure everyone listening has probably had a patient who has said something along the lines of i was told never to bend forward i was told never to pick up anything heavier than a shopping bag or a bag of flour you know, and this might be an 80 year old patient who's been doing this for 60 years because she had a back injury when she was 20. And that's what we used to say to patients 60, 70 years ago. Not that I was here, but I'm sure that's what we used to say to people based on what patients have told me. So these are the other factors that kind of play a role. So and this is not me. I'm not anti manual therapy. I'm not saying that this doesn't work. And for people that then do a lot of manual therapy, that's not a problem. It works. People get better. And it's it's not the pro the problem is not the manual therapy itself. The problem is well how we're explaining it to patients. And you know, promotion of manual therapy to act as a pain reliever, to help people move better, to help go about their activities of daily living. Brilliant. You know, that's what we're doing it. And then we can then back up those changes with exercises, with rehab, with movement, with lifestyle advice, you know. So all, this, all those tools that people still have with their hands are still very valuable tools. We're not, you know, I'm not dismissing that by any way. Great stuff. Yeah, it is. A, it's one of the biggest challenges which I try and overcome quite early when I'm teaching therapists who have learned to base everything on seeking symmetry and alignment and imbalances and things. But once you've got that out of your head, it's like you open this box of, oh, wow. So if that's not right, I've got all of this I can look into. And it actually should be quite exciting. Um, but it's a yeah, it's a tricky box, which in the past has made quite a good business model, which I don't think we can forget. It is convenient. You know, people will keep coming back, but it's an ethical thing, isn't it? Becky's got a little list right down here. Let me get rid of that title for a second. Um, Becky says, I'll bring it up so people watching can see it on the screen. I agree that um, informing our clients with the right narrative is important. However, have you experienced with having these tricky conversations with fellow health professionals that are also working with your clients? See, she's done it straight away. I knew she'd come up with one. It's true. When you're yeah. working together with other professionals and they're maybe on a different page, how does that it's work hard. out for you? Uh, it's difficult. Um, it is definitely hard. And I, in a similar way to patients, I'm not one to, you know, kind of talk down other practitioners because as i said you know things work and if and if a patient's out there feeling better i'm not going to tell them that oh that what that other chiropractor doing was was nonsense that's not for, that's not my job as i said to you before you know in, what's the phrase no one 
no one wins in a mud fight. No one comes out clean. It, it, it doesn't, it doesn't help, but no, it, it's a tricky conversation to have. So my argument is I provide the good information. I put it out there in the forms of podcasts, blogs, Instagram posts. If people choose to adopt that and bring it on, then, then brilliant. But I'm not there going to, you know, I think taking the right course and promoting the right information is, is, is the right way to do it with colleagues and other people who might ask me about it. Then I'll kind of say, well, how, do, you know, what do you think about that? You know, why do you think that posture plays a role or why do you think that core stability is important? You know, why? And, and kind of have that conversation as opposed to shutting down someone's beliefs. But no, I, there's no easy way to do it. I fully agree, Becky. Yeah. And that's, and that's what, I mean, sometimes it is a case of if you can't, not everyone can have nice, calm, rational debate. It's not something we're born with a lot of the time. Sometimes people don't like confrontation and they start getting angry or they just haven't got the experience to put words together. Not everyone's born like that or develops it when they're younger. So I think sometimes like directing people to maybe one of your podcast episodes to somebody who does manage to explain it in a way which you can only dream of doing it can help. Yeah. I'm just giving someone a link, you know, have a listen to this. That's I can't explain it myself because of my limitations, which people love hearing about people saying their own limitations. But listen to this and, and see what you think about it. We'll chat about it. I and mean, that could be great. Um yeah. so that can work, I think. People get yeah. defensive. It's the ties we live in, isn't it? We were talking about it before. People love an argument. And and like we were saying off air, it's an attack against your identity. There's so many arguments these days on a, on a yeah. variety of topics. But as soon as you disagree with someone, it's like we think they're attacking us, and that's what I stand for. But we're not. We can't be what we believe in because we change our beliefs all the time. We develop exactly. and change. So, exactly. And if, if your if if your whole identity is pinned to a particular treatment type or a particular specific type of manual therapy, and someone's questioning the ground you're 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 living on, and you're on shaky ground, then you've got nowhere to go. You know, and your entire dependency is based around this particular technique. Then you're going to get defensive. You sunk a lot of money, effort, time into doing this. So people are going to get defended they're going to get defensive around it when you know that's on them really at the end of the day yeah it's tricky and again uh, the person i always quote on this we had him as a guest on the show walt fritz was a brilliant example of somebody who had the whole world attacking him when he was like working with the pioneers of myofascial release and stuff and then he he had to kind of sit back and he was attacking back and then he just listened to it he analyzed in his own time went to his man cave um, or woman cave or just a cave and he started thinking you know actually i need actually i'm right yeah they're right i have to evolve i'm going to stop I'm, I'm trying to seek this ideal posture and stuff yeah it, you can turn it around but it just takes maybe some time and yeah anyway yeah. becky let us know if you've had a problem come back with another it's a great question really good it is mm -hmm. true and one more i think a lot of therapists go wrong they start jumping on a horse and kind of trying to soapbox it and it doesn't work for sure it doesn't work um okay so okay let's because we've got five if you've got any questions about misalignment or you know that how to get away from that kind of mold then obviously leave some questions in the comments but i think it'll take us quite smoothly now through to uh, posture because it's kind of a link there tell, yeah. tell us about posture so posture is something which probably everyone watching has learned about um in terms of postural assessments using plumb lines i remember standing there in you know day one university plumb line you know your head should be in line with your ear and your shoulder and your hip you know all those type of things you know so everyone's probably done that but does the, the question is does posture matter you know should we be worried about posture or should we be trying to influence it or kind of change it well firstly there isn't actually consensus on what is good posture so no one knows kind of what is good posture if you ask most people they will think that it means sitting up really tall kind of bringing their shoulders back and that's not actually we know that you know from the evidence that that isn't actually correlated with 
less back pain. In fact, actually, conversely, people who spend most time thinking about their posture and trying to sit up straight are more likely to have back pain than people who don't think about their posture and kind of slump down. So the way I explain posture to patients is it's not the position that you're sat in, but it's the lack of movement from said posture that's the problem. So any position that you sit in for eight hours is not, is not good. Whether that is this perfect, you know, computer posture, the sun's right in my eyes, sorry. Whether it's a perfect sat up tall computer posture, you know, that we're trying to emulate with everything, or whether it's a slouch posture, go and sit in either of those for eight hours and kind of see how comfortable it is. And I think a lot of these beliefs and expectations came around from societal norms and kind of societal expectations. And we know that the kind of the perfectionist, beautiful image of someone is always in that kind of perfect posture, whether that's a male or female sitting up tall is, is correlated with looking beautiful and extra confidence and all these type of things that go hand in hand. So I think the only time it might be appropriate, and I think Kieran O'Sullivan said this, the only time it's appropriate to really think about your posture is if it, if it's a first date or if it's if you're at a job interview, you know, and you're really worried about looking confident or looking attractive. That's kind of the things which posture is is related to, and it also doesn't really correlate to non recovery. So if people were telling people to improve their posture to have a better outcome of back pain, that also doesn't change. You know, people who then spend a lot of time sitting up tall, trying to think of sit up tall, pull their shoulders back, thinking that's going to help their back pain. It actually doesn't have any benefit to improving their back pain. What does make back pain worse is worrying about your posture. That's one of the other things which we know that has an impact worrying about it. So it's a huge topic. It's hugely ingrained in society. Um, you know, everybody would have heard a patient say it's probably my posture. I'm worried about my posture. But, you know, it, it doesn't correlate very well with, with lower back pain. Which, again, is going to be tricky for particularly kind of newer sports massage therapists who have been told to look at lower back pain check for lordosis check for anterior pelvic mm. tilt so i mean where do you as a practitioner then where do you sit with like lordosis should it be regarded should we talk about it as something to look out for and measure or uh personally no um outside of you know this, this i think you know looking for things like spondies and and bits like that as well someone's got a very big lordotic posture and I, I believe there might be an increased risk they might have something like a spondy if it kind of fits the history but those are kind of by the by generally no it doesn't really play a huge role into my into my assessment i will look at some how someone moves through that posture so can they move into full flexion full extension are they stuck rigid or are they fearful of moving outside of that posture so are they in a big lordotic posture because they're in a lot of pain and they're fearful of kind of going to flexion. Um, but in terms of just looking at someone's posture, will that have an impact down the line in terms of pain? Then no, it's not something that I will put much benefit on at all. I won't, I won't do a plumb line type assessment on someone um, it really for me. And that goes for anyone, whether they are elderly, young sports athlete, whoever, as I said, there are a few things looking at scoliosis and, you know, kyphotic type Sherman's conditions. And, you know, those are, structural conditions aside but generally no it doesn't play a big role kind of day-to-day -day in my in my treatment if someone has a preferred posture to get them out of pain i don't mind them being in that position you know it's perfectly normal to avoid uh, a painful position for a time period if that's sitting up straight if that's slumping don't mind at all they're fine to fine to do that but what is important is we introduce that posture at a later date so if they're fearful of flexion i'm not i don't mind if they don't flex for a few days or a few weeks but it's important that we bring that back in at a later date to you know, grade that recovery and grade that improvement. 
Yeah. So again, uh, it's kind of again, it's for, for a lot of younger therapists going to be a bit of a surprise. Um, but I thought what you said was interesting. Was okay. You look at somebody, but it's interesting to see if they are in a particular posture whether they can move into a new one. Mm-hmm. Because sometimes in life you're gonna everybody is going to have to flex and extend. Sometimes you know for di- different tasks and things. So it's interesting. Still do. I mean, I have to teach. I teach quite a low level because I like getting in there early thinking I'm going to change the world, but I have to teach them these assessments so they can tick the boxes you know, pass the exam. But straight away, I'm like, okay, look at them, fine. But rather than judging them on the static position, just out of interest, see if they can adopt a new posture. Rather than saying, oh, they've got fallen arches, see if they can you know, keep the contact with the floor and lift those up. If they can, so what? It's just yeah. their position, happy position is, is like that. So but I think you have, but you have to have a starting point. So there's nothing wrong with assessing that posture and learning that posture because you have to know yeah i don't like the word normal but you have to know what people look like and you have to know what what flexion extension looks like and as you said what a fallen collapsed arch you know moves like what lumbar flexion extension looks like you have to know what you know what people look like when they've got when they've got no clothes on that's our job um so you know there's not it's not a bad thing to be to be doing that it's just the narrative again we use the word narrative around explaining that this is inherently a problem and fixing it will get you out of pain which you know we know doesn't have a big correlation what about the idea because i know there's a lot of stuff built around the position of the pelvis it's a classic kind of marker and where correctional exercises then solves the idea of how to get you to this norm what about the idea of a neutral pelvis what do you what do you think when you hear about that this idea of having the center bit as the the sweet spot where things going to be okay no so again that's i'd go back to the same the same answer for kind of a, like a lordotic posture um you know it has very little bearing kind of on pain people come to us in pain out of pain and we know that they have a huge variance in kind of these you know pelvic tilts you know the anterior pelvic tilt similar to the posture correction of said anterior pelvic tilt has very little to do to improving back pain what is more important is the ability to move through that range of motion um just like that kind of lumbar flexion extension that anterior posterior pelvic tilt i remember doing that in you know year one you know kind of looking at pelvic asymmetries and assessing you know pelvic movement and you know which you probably spoke about with with mark laslett the ability to kind of palpate movement around the pelvis you know the pelvis doesn't move in the way that kind of we we i was taught um you know and that was something for me i remember assessing it and saying oh this is stuck on this side it doesn't move well and you know can we palpate a millimeter of movement through an inch of you know bone muscle fat you know the expert Mark Laslett says probably not, you know, and I, I kind of lean on his on his narrative around that a lot when I'm explaining that to patients. But it is really hard when you've been taught all this and really hard to undo it. But I think that what all these schools do really well is they teach people to question. And I think that's what, you know, you do well through things like this podcast. And, and that's what, you know, the good schools do is they teach people to ask questions and say, OK, so why does this cause pain? Why doesn't it cause pain? Why does this patient have this big anterior tilt but he doesn't have pain in his low back he's coming to me with shoulder pain and that's what you know as good therapists we we should be doing and that's what we should be going and looking for you know using things like podcasts and research papers and asking people on twitter you know for for the evidence you know we've all been in the same situation we've all had these doubts and these and we all still do on a daily basis i'm not not saying i'm immune from this at all so asking people so having that as a skill to fall back on i think is really important yeah that's really good really good point yeah once you do get past that kind of norm of thinking oh you've got lower back pain oh i see you've got a big uh, anterior pelvic tilt here well that's probably because you've got tight hamstrings because you've been sitting down all day so this is what we're going to do once you get rid of that blueprint response mm. then there's probably initial fear of what do i do then i don't want to yeah. do but, but that doesn't mean what you were going to do for that 
isn't necessarily going to help that patient. So if you if that means you're going to do some massage, that means you're going to do some stretching, if that means you're going to give some corrective exercises, that doesn't mean that those things don't help that patient. So there's no problem with that. It just doesn't necessarily mean that they do what you think they were doing. And I think that's the kind of the difference. So it's not if someone's you know listening to this and thinking, well, I've been trying to correct this. You haven't been necessarily doing something wrong. And, you know, I'm not standing on a high horse trying to say that, you know, you've, you've been helping patients. Brilliant. You know, that's fantastic. That's what we're here to do. It's just asking why it's helping. And I think that's the kind of the, the question that we, we all have. Yeah, that's very good. Good advice. I just think it's worrying where, I mean, this is where, particularly in massage at the moment, we're always putting more, you know, the subjective, listen to a patient enough and they'll tell you what's wrong with them and listen to this more and they'll tell you how to fix them kind of thing. Because I think if you jump straight into that structural objective measurement thing, then you ignore the fact they're only sleeping three hours a night or they don't eat until dinner time. All these things which are probably winding up the nervous system and keeping yeah. them in that state of pain. And yeah. Well, they get just got just divorced jump. and they're also moving house and, you know, exactly. they've had a death in the family, you know, all those things. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And lo often a lot of the things which they won't tell you, <clears throat> excuse me, they won't tell you until you visit them for, for a month or something. And then they might tell you about how their teenager is doing this and that and they're just totally wound up. And 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 you think, well, how am I going to help them with that? But the fact they actually tell you and share it and then maybe you have got some cards or some people relate or mm -hmm. something or some kind of like uh, someone who could talk to them about it. And so yeah. there's we're quite big on here. And the more I do these chats with different guests, but like Jack March, you know, from rheumatology, and we had um, some great pelvic health physiotherapists as well, um, uh, both from male and female um, backgrounds. And um, it really has made an effect to me this year, really realizing that massage therapists have got a really huge responsibility in the sense that a lot of people suffering from pain for something systemic who typically don't get diagnosed, including hypermobility. Yep. Um, and we had endometriosis um, a couple of weeks ago. They're probably walking through our door to us first of all, because yeah. they're thinking, oh, a good massage will help me. I need a good massage. Yeah. And it does help. But they're masking maybe getting a proper diagnosis by visiting the right sort of person and they're kind of yeah. putting up the symptoms. So I'm quite excited by the fact that massage therapists, um, we enjoy them coming in. We enjoy laying hands on them. We enjoy the sensation of, of giving the massage and stuff. But if we ask more questions at the beginning, rather than thinking oh yeah this is broken i'm going to fix it and we could help loads of people get to the right person help bring down these seven to ten years of bad or misdiagnosis yeah. you know with things like that it's it should be exciting i'm hoping yeah. massage therapists listening to this understand that um yeah. it's a great place to be yeah, that's all we wanted to do role. isn't it healthcare professionals you want to help people yeah that's, that's um, what we're there for yeah 100 yeah. so yeah cool right um tina's got a question here it's good with uh, posture and, and work kind of assessments because a lot of blame is put onto your position at work isn't it having the right computer height and the chair and stuff but tina says i'll read it out um let me just get rid of that on there um hide that so uh tina says um i'm a relative newbie but i'm seeing a rise in occupational assessments for back pain clients swapping out chairs for stability balls and standing desks as a permanent until resolved. I'm trying to get the movement message across is challenging. Um, have tried to contact, but am met with resistance. Uh, any recommendations as in work hours, the individuals listen to OH, what do you think OH stands for? Occupational any health. Oh, occupational health, there we go. So yeah, there's a little bit in there regarding um, yeah, our stability balls or standing desk a solution. Um, and yeah, trying to help probably line managers and people understand what the cause of their staff's lower back pain is and how to give mm. advice. Yeah. 
What do you think? So that's a good question. Um, so I would put this because everyone gets asked this question a lot. Should I change my chair? Should I change my desk? Whatever it is. I put it to, as I said, to most patients, this is what I would say. I would say, I don't mind what chair you have as long as you get out of it frequently. So that could be a, a 999 chair from Argos or it could be a 1500 pound, you know, Herman Miller, whatever office chair is. doesn't matter. If you're stuck in that chair for eight hours a day and you don't move, it doesn't matter however your setup is, you're, you're going to be uncomfortable. That's normal. You know, look at a plane seat. You know, they're pretty upright and pretty, pretty normal. You, know, you, you might say even they're in good posture, but you're uncomfortable when you sat on a plane for 10 hours because you, it's because you're not moving. Exactly the same thing. So I'm a big advocate of anything that involves a bit more movement. So that a sit to stand desk is a brilliant example. Treadmill desk is another example. You get these mini treadmills that people put under their desk and they, they walk. I've even seen a bike desk um, or stability board desks. Now, are these perfect for everyone? No, some people get more pain when they're walking. Some people get more pain when they're standing. But, you know, what doesn't help is being static for long periods. So that is what kind of needs to change is that are you stuck behind a desk for eight hours? Can you move a bit more? Yes. Then possibly uh, uh, sitting on a ball for a short period of time and having a wiggle and having a move might be beneficial. But then it's also important to be specific to that patient. Does this help you? Yes. Brilliant. Carry on with it. Does this make your pain worse? Brilliant. Maybe try something else. You know, or not brilliant, but you know, maybe consider <laughs> trying something else. Um, yeah, not brilliant. Try something else. So it's got to be individual. So there's no hard and fast. Yes, this is perfect for everyone, except everybody should be doing a little bit more movement is probably a good way I'd put it. And that's kind of the way I put it to the occupational health is, you know, what actually changes this person's pain? What makes them feel better? Is it is it standing? Is it sitting? Is it walking? Is it having more regular breaks? Is it having a 15 minute period at lunchtime when they can do some mindfulness and some meditation and some deep breathing is it can they do a five minute yoga stretch off you know at, at tea time whatever it is you know what other ways can we improve it you know ne not necessarily changing that sitting posture and making sure the arm heights are three to three inches higher probably has a you know a small bearing on the pain overall yeah i'm still waiting for the study i used to visit offices quite a lot and I'd love a study where to see whether people who smoke and have regular cigarette breaks actually suffer less from lower back pain than people That's who really are interesting. not going yeah, out. Because you know? not only do they go out for smoke, if you look at people having cigarettes, they're talking, they're putting a leg up on the wall, they've probably got one hand on the hip, they're just kind of moving a bit more. Smoking yoga. Look at me. Yeah. It is, it is. <laughs> and, and they're getting out, they're getting some fresh air. Okay, they're filling their lungs with tar and nicotine yeah. as well, but at least they're moving and they're kind of like, you know, so even the stubbing the cigarette out, they're getting some nice hip rotations and plant deflections. <laughs> yeah. It's just the whole thing is Love it. let's all smoke. So, but it's, yeah, I'm wondering whether, um, and they're allowed to as well. So they've got that freedom thing as well. It's definitely Tina talking to, when I did it, it was just having a good chat. The only way you're going to convince managers, I think it's across the board that getting their staff to move more and, and, and not have to sit down in front of computers is that is going to make the company some money. It's just the yeah. only language they improve talk. Improve workplace productivity. You've but what do doesn't it. improve workplace productivity is time off because of pain. You know, exactly. that has a huge negative impact on staff morale, everything. So, you know, put it, I'd, I'd go for that side of it. <laughs> exactly. I think that's one of the biggest losses for a lot of businesses is, is absent staff yeah. and having to get a 10 pin or with someone leaving, retraining someone. That's the biggest um, yeah, hole in their little water. Um, I feel that with my so yeah there is conversations you can have but it might be tricky because they always link letting people stand up and move around they can't concentrate while they're standing up but yeah, yeah. nonsense yeah good one thanks Tina good question I like that um but it's interesting isn't it? the standing decks not like you say I mean I think it's been shown that 
if you do stand up for eight hours at a desk you're just gonna have, you're gonna get injured you get pain in different places probably but it's still gonna be it's gonna um, cause issues um, and i think there's a study which showed it actually reduces mental capacity anyway that for some reason really? did you read anything about that yeah yeah no. you can think more be more productive sitting down it's kind of like more productive yeah. in that position standing up um but anyway good okay Great questions, people. Keep them coming. Um, I hope that helped you, Tina. If you need a follow up, just write something in the comments. Okay, right. Where are we? Um, let's go on to number three, then, if that's all right with you, Rob. So, MRIs. What have you got to say about MRIs? MRIs. So, MRIs have taken a bit of a bashing recently, as you've probably seen on social media. They're being blamed for everything under the sun from failure to improve to increased surgery rates to increased procedures to everything. And so, my stance on this, and we've done this on podcast, is the problem isn't necessarily with the MRI. After all, an MRI is something inert. You know, an MRI doesn't make you worse unless you've got some metal in your body that you didn't know about, then you might might make you a bit worse. But an MRI in itself doesn't make you worse. The fault that we have on MRIs is in poor reporting to patients. Um, and this is hard to get hard to get your head around. The issues with MRIs is they don't see pain. You know, they, they don't show something in pain. They show everything under the skin all at once, which may sound brilliant. And the radiologists do a fantastic job. You know, this is what they do all day, every day is look at scans and report on them. So they tell you everything that's happening right now, that snapshot, everything's happening right underneath your skin. The issue is most people walking around have something on a scan that could probably be blamed on their pain, even if they don't have pain or that finding kind of, you know, doesn't match it doesn't match their symptoms but and radiologists aren't looking at the patient you know they're not examining the patient they have they might have a few lines of a history and a referral note but they're not they don't really have the full the full kind of data so the skill in managing this is how then that report is translated to patients so i have a bit of an issue with kind of reports being handed out to patients when they haven't been explained obviously it's their report they've got a right to see it but it should be taken it should be given to them with an explanation of kind of what 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 happens i've got a story about this as a prime example i had a lady who came to see me and she had stepped off a curb and she she's an elderly lady i think she was mid 80s stepped off a curb felt a jarring pain in her lower back now that step off a curb immediate pain is quite a common mechanism of kind of a compression fracture particularly in older the osteoporotic spine um so she saw the gp the gp sent her for an x-ray to kind of rule out this fracture she then rang back a week later to get the results of her x-ray she spoke to a different GP who hadn't examined her, examined her, who said, yes, you've got some arthritis, but yeah, that's fine. OK. She said, oh, OK, that's, that's sad. She then came to see me and I said, so what brings you to see me? And she said, oh, well, I stepped off a curb and it gave me arthritis. And that was her her thought of what happened. She didn't you know, she thought that she didn't didn't understand what arthritis was. She didn't understand that this was a normal process that happened to her spine. She thought that, you know, she stepped off a curb and it had given her arthritis. And so that was just just poor reporting from, you know, unfortunately, you know, these doctors are hugely busy. They don't have time to sit down and, you know, as we do in most of our private practices and discuss the results from MRI for half an hour. So, you know, I'm not bashing anyone there as well. But when we're reporting these things to patients, we can say things like you have severe degeneration, you have spinal arthritis, you know, crumbling spine, which I've heard, you know, which is the worst phrase ever when describing something. Or we can say things like you have a normal spine for your age. It's just a bit sore right now. And then which one of those narratives would you rather hear? And which one of those narratives is going to get that patient moving? You know, if you're trying to get patients to exercise and they think they've got a crumbling spine, 
they're going to be a lot more fearful of movement. They're going to be a lot more protective around it. Whereas if we say you have a totally normal spine for your age, it's just a bit sore and we need to get it moving, it flip reverses the same the same conversation as they have in their head. It also then plays into previous beliefs. You know, if they've had four generations of people with, you know, arthritis and they've suddenly been told they've got arthritis, even though they just have a very normal spine for an 80-year-old, as far as they remember, their mother, grandmother and grandfather all had severe back pain. That's then going to play a huge part in their recovery because if someone's had pain for 20 years because of their arthritis, and we're talking about osteoarthritis here, just kind of to clarify, um, the, that's going to play a role in their, in their recovery. So you know, having their, their beliefs and expectations, you know, understanding those is a huge, huge part of it as well. It's interesting. I think everybody probably, when you heard Rob saying crumbly spine, everyone's kind of gone, oh, that's a horrible way of talking about the spine. And we get that. And we might not use the word crumbly, for example, with, with the people we see and say, oh, the problem is you've got a crumbly spine. But we do use other words like the famous one of a slipped disc or my back's gone. I mean, even just saying your back's gone is quite a scary kind of thought of yeah. like, you know. But like slipped discs, for example, and that's another one which I think a lot of people probably they hear their patients say it um, or maybe they use it themselves when they're kind of talking. But that that's one. It's not accurate, which I'd like to ask you about because mm. you've probably seen a lot of slip discs or people with apparent slip discs. And two, it's something which, again, if you look on the MRI, you're going to see signs of these things, which, again, might be in asymptomatic individuals or they even kind of recorrect themselves. So, yeah. What do you think about the word slip disc? Yeah. So I think the. You know, we often get this com this kind of comment when we talk about MRIs because people say, well, I had an MRI and it diagnosed my problem. And that's that's brilliant. But what's actually happening there is you're not using the MRI to diagnose you. An MRI is correlated with your examination, your reported, your, your history, how you presented everything. And this has come up with the most likely diagnosis. Um, and a slip disc is a prime example. You know, we know that most people walking around without pain, you know, they have a 50, 40 to 60 percent chance of having a bulging disc kind of on a spine. Um, herniated discs slightly lower but still quite a high chance without any pain um, people can have you know disc changes at many different levels around the spine um, without any pain at all people can have huge disc herniations and zero pain people can have very small disc bulges and a lot of pain so there's no very little correlation with this disc disc injuries can it's injuries slip disc whatever you like to call them herniated discs can cause pain as well so they can bulge they can irritate a nerve root but it has to be taken into account with that patient history if someone's coming into you with raging sciatica and leg pain and weakness and numbness and foot drop and then they have an mri which shows that at that at that same level they also have a you know a large disc herniation then you can put two and two together and think yes this is probably the cause of the pain um going on to kind of the, the slipped disc you know this is a very old old-fashioned kind of analogy i know it's still used and it's similar to the narrative around things popping in and out of place it's just kind of maybe a lazy narrative and it's easy to say and it's easy for patients to kind of understand but it does lead to that fear that things slip out and in and if you know we did a whole podcast with david poulter about discs don't slip and we know that you know these changes are likely taking place over long periods and then something sensitizes that area at one time so that disc slip bulge hernia herniation whatever you call it has probably been there for a long time the amount of force needed to have an acute herniation is is, is significant so without levels of car crash and things like that it, it doesn't really happen what's likely happening is these changes have been taking place over years and these disc bulges have been there the day before you had the back pain then also the day after you had the back pain but something else has sensitized it and david poulter talks about his rule of two rule rule of two rule of twos which is 
too frequent, too often, too much, too many, too too much load. I, some, I can't remember exactly what they all are, but basically something has sensitized it. Something has mm. irritated it, which the body isn't necessarily used to. You're too quick, too strong, too often for too long. That's kind of what he says. So that might be a change in symptoms, a change in activity that sensitized that nerve and that nerve root, and then has led to pain kind of further down the line. And then that nerve root, and then within, that then builds into the whole back pain narrative other fears, beliefs, catastrophizing fear of movement that then further keeps those back pain wheels spinning. So, you know, slip discs can cause pain 100%, but do they always cause pain? No. I think it's useful, not for all therapists, but I think a good intro to changing your practice is by looking at the words you use and understanding how if that can have an effect on your patients, you understand that that gives you an intro to understanding pain a bit better. It may, it means you can slight start kind of looking at you being a bit more reflective about your own practice and if you start criticizing yourself even if it's just the words you use and then you're going to start criticizing what you do with your hands and you go just i think it's quite a good backdoor for a lot of therapists and um, to start caring about what's coming out of their mouths and what images they've got up and whether they have got a little kind of the classic model of the spine with a big red bulging thing coming out from the side you know what someone in back pain is going to think if they look mm. at that are they going to feel walk out thinking oh yeah i feel great or oh my god did you see that model that's what's yeah. in my back you know yeah. that sort of thing it's a good intro, I think. Um, Robert here says, um, we had a discussion at LSBU on guidelines on our education on imaging. My suggestion is more time needs to be devoted um, to explanation to patients without creating threat, but providing yeah. reassurance. 100%. Very true. And Becky comes up, obviously, with a great Louis Gifford quote. Yeah. Effective reassurance is a bloody good painkiller, yeah. said Louis. 100%. Um, also, brilliant. It's good stuff. And Robert shows agreement. Great. OK, so, yeah, MRIs, you've got to be careful about it. And yeah, I think what you said is is the biggest um, message is we don't use an MRI to diagnose. We, we go to confirm a hypothesis is already created and let's see if this kind of adds to it and, and, and gives it weight. So, yeah, I think the um, David Poulter said that diagnosing pain with an MRI is like looking at a wedding photo and trying to guess who the drunkest person is. And I really like that analogy. It's that, you know, you might have some idea, but you, you don't you don't know. And I thought that's just, I just really like that, really like that analogy. He seems to have a lot of time to come up with great analogies, though. He seems to spend the last two years on a bike as an eel. Phenomenal. I don't know how he does it. <laughs> phenomenal, <laughs> phenomenal achievement. With word to word descriptions on Twitter. But yeah, yeah, some amazing stuff from David Poulter. If you haven't followed him yet, then look out, particularly on Twitter. Yeah. I'm fairly active, to say the least. Um, cool. OK, right. We've been through three. Yeah, we're doing OK. We're going to, I think there's a big tie in now with the next one anyway, because you kind of mentioned it. But yeah, this big take home message. Um, or this idea that pain equals damage. You mentioned it a few times, um, the idea that, well, yeah, pain is not a, an accurate measurement of how mm. much damage you've done to tissue, that you can have it without necessarily having any tissue damage at all. And we've yeah. talked on the podcast before about this. We mentioned Vince, uh, phantom limb pain. We had the pleasure of um, Rachel Zoffness, um, who is on episode 51, I think. I can't remember now. But, yeah, I mean, a fantastic educator yeah. of, of pain. So hopefully people have listened to these other guests on the podcast are aware of this but have you got any particular ways of helping clients appreciate that just because they're in a lot of pain doesn't mean they've got a really serious when you're talking to the client obviously we've learned from other educators that letting the client come up with their own metaphor is pretty cool but is there some which you kind of resonate with you that you think is quite a nice way of helping educate your clients yeah. So yeah, this is really hard to do. And hundred percent, I've got it wrong. I've, uh, you know, I know I've got it wrong in the past. I still, there's times that I know I could have explained this better because if you do explain pain poorly, 
the patient walks away either more confused, they think that you think they're making it up, which is never, no one's, no one thinks that, you know, someone's pain is really kind of real. So I kind of say to patients that we know that we can have pain in, in a body part with damage, you know, kind of after trauma, we can have pain in a body part without any damage, you know, like a migraine, you know, severe pain goes away within sometimes in hours, no pain before, no pain afterwards. You know, yes, some mild, some people might have some cognitive effects, but generally you know, no lasting damage. We can have damage without any pain at all. You know, if you like a rupture of blood vessel in your eye, you can have, you know, you know, a big bleeding red eye and zero pain at all. And we can also have pain without a body part. So, you know, that can be phantom limb pain. People can be born without a limb, but can have sensations in it. So this kind of fuels, add fuel to the fire that pain is, is, is controlled by the brain. And so the story I'll give to patients is that kind of how pain works. And this is a, you know, if I give it to you in the way that I'd kind of explain it to a patient is that we have lots of nerves in the body. We don't have pain nerves. We have a whole variety of different nerves and what nerves have on the end of them is receptors. And these receptors get stimulated by different, different stimulations. So we have nerves that respond to heat, for example, and we have nerves that respond to pressure. What's often thought of as pain nerves are called nociceptors. And these don't respond to a, a specific stimulus. They are what we call high threshold receptors, where they respond to a lot of stimulus at once. So the only information they can give to the brain is there's a whole lot of something, a whole lot of crap happening right now, but it can't give any specifics. So what the brain does is all of this information gets fed into the spinal cord, up into the brain. The brain then relies on the information from said body part. It then relies on your what you're seeing your smell your taste it also leans on past experiences for example if you're having if you know if you you're getting burnt on something you know a stove or a fire your body might think oh i can smell smoke i can see fire the last time this happened you know i was in some pain too uh you know and then also we've then got all this stuff happening down in my leg something must be happening i'm going to project this pain onto that body part and then we have the sensation of pain and that's kind of how, you know, how pain works at a very basic level. And that's about my level of understanding of pain. I can't really go, go kind of go, go beyond that. But it's the brain that evaluates this and then makes that decision based on past experience. So then the same thing then happens with pain, say back pain. You know, if, for example, we bent forward and we felt our back, you know, go. And the last time this happened, it also happened when we bent forward and our back went our brain relies on that past experience. So then of course, we're then going to be afraid of moving or bending forward, you know, because all these movements play into pain. So that I use that as an analogy to help patients unwind it and think, okay, so we're terrified of flexion. We don't want to bend forward. Fine. Can we flex the spine in a different way? So can we lie on your back and pull your knees up towards your chest? You know, can you sit down for a slump position and sit back up again? The same thing is happening in the spine, but it might be a lot less painful. And we know that if we can do a stumps 10 times, it might get a lot more comfortable. And then standing up, we might be able to flex forward, you know, 10 more, 10 more degrees than we did before. And then that improves that envelope of function. And then we can then use that with another exercise. And these are all the kind of the conversations which I'll have with patients who have this fear around movement, which is normal. You know, patients, it's normal to be scared of a movement if it hurts to do so. So it's not the patient's fault at all. Great. Yeah, some nice ideas there. Yeah, the migraine one's really good. I mean, mm. a lot most people have had maybe not a serious, serious migraine, but it's the headache. Um, and yeah, it doesn't nothing, you know, it just goes and, and you don't at the time start thinking, I need an MOI, something's going on in my head, something that you just accepted only because of the narrative we've been exactly, you know, not born to worry about it. And the fact we can kind of look in the mirror and see it, I suppose. I mean, that's part of the thing about back. Do you think? I don't know whether we give too much weight to this, but is it coincidence it's the part of the body we can't really see or 
Is that part of the fear? Or? I've never considered that, actually. I've mm. never, I think that people associate back pain with spinal cord. This is my, I don't have any evidence for this. My belief is that people associate fear, back pain with things like, uh, you know, being in wheelchairs and being having mm. horrific accidents and the narrative around spinal fractures and, you know, spinal cord being so vital. That is why it's led to kind of you know, the fear around movement and back pain being so much worse. Also, it can be so painful. And, you know, anyone who's seen, everyone would have seen people in horrific pain. You know, they're look, curled up in, in the fetal position in reception when you go down to get them. The back pain can be some of the worst pain imaginable. This cute, mm-hmm. the cute sciatica patients, you know, I feel so sorry for. It is horrific pain. So I think arguably it is also really, really bloody painful. And I'm fortunate that I've never been in severe sciatic pain. So I can't, you know, empathize, but I can sympathize because I've seen a lot of it okay right time is winning so um let's talk about briefly the last one you chose and they're in no particular order but it's another one which i think a lot of soft tissue therapists who decide to get into some kind of handing out exercises um they 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 look at this and the weak core tell us about weak cores and lower back pain yeah so this has been around for years you know everyone knows everyone would have done some core stability exercises at some point i'm sure or given them to a patient and this came about from the idea that all muscles, ligaments, tendons kind of work together to create our stable spine or a kind of a stable system. And then with that led or kind of got extrapolated by, I think it was Paul Hodges who kind of started this uh, again in the, in the early 90s, I think, who basically hypothesized that, if, hypothesized that if muscles weren't doing their job, this could be a precursor to pain. So they measured the transverse abdominus muscle in people and got them to lift their arms up. And they found that people who had back pain had a later firing of the transverse abdominal muscle compared to people without back pain. And this then led to the thoughts that it should be firing earlier. And this was kind of a a cause of back pain. This led to people strengthening transverse abdominus and also the multifidus and strengthening the core, thinking that was actually going to then help back pain. When actually we know that people whose back pain improved, they didn't necessarily have a better firing of the transverse abdominus. They didn't necessarily improve their kind of their core strength. So Greg Lehman talked about this as what he called kind of a, an epiphenomenon, i.e. it occurred at the same time, but isn't necessarily directly related. And I think the analogy he gave, which is brilliant on, I forgot on which podcast it was, he said, you know, it's like people with acute low back pain, they have an acute sympathetic response, they get sweaty. So it's like saying everyone with low back pain, we need to give them towels because, you know, they're all sweaty. And I thought that's such a good analogy. It's something that's parallel to dysfunction, but is not necessarily a driver of the pain. So this led to people activating these muscles, strengthening these muscles, and, you know, people got better. But it wasn't necessarily because we're, we're strengthening the core. And I think that's what I come back to. None of these exercises are bad, you know, and people giving out core stability exercises. Fantastic. If this is helping patients, brilliant. I still give out core stability exercises, but I'm not telling patients that it's they're strengthening their core. And I think that's kind of the, the narrative around. We've come back to the, the narrative about how we're explaining things. That's the, the the important thing. So it's certainly okay to use these exercises, whether that's a bird dog, a single leg bridge, a standing balance, whatever it might be, whatever, a sit up. No problem with using any of these exercises. They're just ways of loading and bending and stressing the spine, which we know it likes and it tolerates and it gets better because of that. Um, in, a, in actual fact, people who have back pain have an overactive core. So often these people walk around bracing their core, which is you know, the worst thing to do, you know, if you injured your elbow, you wouldn't walk around holding it at 90 degrees all day and expecting it to get better. You know, these people often have overactive cores and need to focus more on kind of 
relaxation and movement and being free. So it's, again, I'm not slagging off core exercises. There's no problem with giving core exercises. It's they're, they're good exercises. Yeah, there's no problems, but they're not any better than any other specific exercise or non-specific exercise for kind of lower back pain. There you go, people. So yeah, still give you the exercises, but again, like I think how we started pretty much if you tell someone people don't come to patients don't come to say i know what the problem is yeah i've got a weak core unless they be if they do it's because they've been to another practitioner mm. to tell them that but patients and clients don't come to that assumption themselves it's somewhere along the line it's a therapist isn't it and a healthcare professional who's told them that yeah and once the daily mail. that seed, or the daily mail exactly but yeah but once you've sowed that seed it can be very destructive mm. and they're more likely to devote all of their time to strengthening their core instead of looking at the myriad like you started off saying of other factors yeah. which could be contributing to this pain not going and the very fact they're besotted by strengthening their core could be creating this obsession which is um, which is delaying recovery so 100%. yeah but i love the way you say you know doesn't mean you have to stop doing it we're not kind of dismissing it and saying you know that it's a waste of time it's just understanding how to present it how to package it up um yeah it's good stuff i like it okay mate great well look i think we've done pretty well in in just over an hour going through those five areas and each one of those for an entire hour oh for sure yeah but hopefully um thanks to you it's given I mean, for some people listening to this particular on the podcast, and I love the idea that people turn to the Sports Therapy Association podcast for a little bit of kind of education, but in a nice way and not being shouted out. Social media is so shouted these days yeah. and calling out BS and kind of like there's capital letters and swearing. And it shouldn't be like that because anybody who's definitely my age has talked about all of these things before. I was giving out. You know, I was talking to people about their transfers of dominance in 2000 and giving them stability ball exercises yeah. for their bench presses and doing squats and fit balls. It's normal. Yeah. You grab what's there because you're excited. You want to help people. But yeah. it's evolving. Isn't it? it doesn't come from it's bad evolving. places. And that's, yeah, it doesn't come from a bad place. We're all here to learn. I was I was exactly that. I, you know, did exactly the same thing. I was activating cores. I was improving people's postures. Same thing, you know. Yeah. So there's nothing wrong with it. But I think the danger these days again because it's so polar rather than being encouraged just to change little things here and there and evolve people just get attacked a little bit too much and it's like everything you do is rubbish ha 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 and look at me listen to me so hopefully anyway if all five of these things have kind of given you food for thought then maybe just take a couple of them yeah we'll put references to places fortunately on um you've got a whole load of podcasts here let's bring this up again now which you can listen to with which will reinforce and talk about with other guests um about these topics so for example if uh, the posture was interesting for you then you've got episode here uh, what difference does posture make for back pain if you're interested in manual therapy what it does and doesn't do then that's a really you important can scroll episode, through yeah. yeah i mean i think you're on how many episodes have you done now it's a lot isn't there was 62 it? there you go yeah, i know 60 something yeah. so there's an awful lot of information there free of course um you guys asking for what cpd well, is another place and you can listen to that podcast and, and gary said before you know, if you provide that as, you know, on your CPD form, I listened to this episode on the Back Pain podcast and it taught me this, bam, there's an hour of quality CPD you haven't paid a penny for. You know, you don't have to go and do a course of what to do with your hands to get good CPD. We've got 70 hours worth, so yeah. <laughs> 70 hours there. So, um, yeah, so do go and check it out. If you listen to the podcast and you can't see what's on the screen, 
then the easiest way to get that if you already savvy with podcasts and just do a search for the back pain podcast it's a nice orange logo with a spine without any bulging discs coming out of it <laughs> um <laughs> i think it'd be so ironic if you did have a red little bulging thing on there but anyway yeah so that's the logo and you'll if not you can find it on the backpainpodcast.com with all kind of signposts so you can even listen to it on your website kind of which is nice right thank you so much for your time bob um, thanks for having me what thanks have you got things have opened up a little bit now before like half a year ago i was like what do you think i'm going to do we're stuck in a pandemic but are things changing for you a little bit now that's kind of well it was nearly kind of yeah i've, up. I've, yeah, I've got, got a one-year-old so now i can actually take him places oh. so i can you know i went to soft play for the first time ever it's brilliant you know you can you don't you don't have to parent for an hour you know little things like that. so really? we've been stuck inside the house with a one-year-old for, for 12 months you know which anyone who's a parent i'm sure you know understands the difficulties but no things are opening up so we can actually leave the house which is always a uh, always beneficial and the work's opening up and you know we were very fortunate that we were in a position that we were allowed to work um kind of throughout the pandemic um which i know a lot of people weren't so you know we were fortunate in that um yeah so we're kind of getting getting back to it and getting back to all the things which we enjoy fantastic i don't know how long that love of soft play would last i understand it's, it's a nice release now but that was something I've, only been once. My, I've got my get out soft if you're going to soft play well, well daddy doesn't come then daddy doesn't okay. do soft play i want oh. beer so yeah. <laughs> um great well thank you so much and like i say people there's a lot of information on the website um there's a blog there as well with lots of interesting articles and things to look through and like i say at the beginning it's all phrased really nicely it's not going to make you feel imposter syndrome kicking off and all that sort of stuff so so there you go right thanks for joining us people um next week uh, to end this month of june um we've got talking of cbd we've got uh, mike james is coming in the house um from or the endurance physio some of you will be very familiar especially it's if you join us live with mike james but we're gonna have a nice chat about um cpd the past and the future obviously we've seen some massive changes in how cpd is delivered has the kind of time we actually went somewhere in person disappeared now is it all online is there too much online how much should you still be paying for it and that sort of stuff so um sports injury fix has recently had a massive kind of um upgrade um based on what they've learned during covid and and questionnaires they've had so they've really changed it around and given what they think will be really useful to therapists so mike's going to come and tell us all about that so same time next week tuesday um at eight o'clock uk time uh, on the sports therapy association so um, on behalf of myself and Rob and the Back Pain Podcast, um, thanks for tuning in. And uh, yeah, Rob, thanks again to you for coming and giving us your time. No, it's so honoured that you uh, had me on. Thank you very much. You're listening to the Sports Therapy Association Podcast. Let's talk about it.